class. There's going to be prayer ministry. Father Mark will explain how that works. Um, but, you know, if those of you who would like to be prayed with, um, if you would like to stay after Mass, that's going to be available. And I want you to know that before you leave so that you know that, that Jim heard that cry that, and he prayed about that and took that to Father Mark. And so um, that ministry, um, our priest, along with some of our lay ministers, will be doing that with people who desire that after Mass. Um, if anyone is in liturgical ministry for the closing mass, please see Shauna at 340 in the sacristy. So if you're involved in that ministry, 340 in the sacristy. And it's our final talk with Jim. And I'm pretty sure it's a football talk because it says going long. And so I'm kind of thinking of all the quarterbacks out there. And so please, if you would welcome Jim Beckman back to give us our final talk. a bee up here that won't leave. <laughs> I'm trying to gently tell him he needs to go somewhere else. So good afternoon. Is it working? We're trying to get the, uh, the PowerPoint working here. Uh, great to be back with you again uh, and in, in some ways kind of come uh, to closure for my part. I know you still have another round of workshops here. but. Um, it's, it's, been, it's been fun to be a, be a part of this. Uh, here's, the, here's the good news as we begin this final session. Go long, uh, which there, there is a little bit of a football analogy, uh, but I'm, I'm using the words in a different way, right? But speaking of football, so Match Buff, my son's high school, won last night. So, so you, you just have to listen to this because it's been a little bit of the prayer in the backdrop, though I, I was fine if last night was the end of things. Uh, and, it's, and it still may be, but um, they won 40 to 14. The way that the high school sports uh, up there, Chassa, um, does the ranking, they, they're using this new system where everything is all based upon the school that you play, what their record is, how, many, how much the point spread was. Uh, what, what other teams they've played. So there's all of these metrics that all get factored into a computer. And this is why I was saying that last night uh, we would have to win by a lot and five other teams would have to lose. So what happened last night is we won by a lot, uh, more than we needed to, bigger spread, which gave us more points. Only four of the five teams lost but no one expected all, you know, no one expected any of them to lose. And four of these five teams all lost last night. Uh, so there was only one team that was kind of edging against them. But because the point spread was so big, uh, there's a lot of the coaches that are, that are pretty convinced that we're going to make it into the playoffs. So, uh, <laughs> so my poor wife was getting home at midnight last night. And the coach said, we need to have practice because we may be going to the playoffs next weekend. Uh, so she was up at 7 this morning, driving him up to the high school for practice this morning. Uh, so there, there you go. Okay, we got, we have, is that working? <laughs> I had such a great picture of a football player. Uh, we got one side on. Okay, don't touch anything else. 
<laughs> we lost this one over here. Um, so um, you hear the words go long, right? And, and typically most of us think uh, football, which this is, uh, it's, it's a big part of the paradigm for me. Uh, we, we're a big football family. My oldest, I was telling you last night, was, had played football for the University of St. Thomas. But we have for years played football in the street out in front of our house. Uh, so re really going back uh, e even to the house we lived in previously, which we've been in this one for 11 or 12 years now, uh, we, we would play in the street out there when Aaron was just a little guy. And um, so as, as the kids have gotten older, this is just one of our big traditions. We, we go out in the street and we, we get a pickup game, with, which when you have five kids, uh, you, you got enough momentum that you can have a fairly good game, right? Uh, and so over the years, there's, uh, you know, playing on hard pavement. <laughs> there's been some pretty bad accidents that have happened, and uh, it's rough pavement, too, in, in front of our house. It's like the rocky, uh, very coarse pavement, so when you fall, you, you're, you're ripping skin off. It hurts pretty bad, uh, which are, there's been a number of those, you know. But what is, what is the favorite call when you're when you're playing pickup football like this you, you, you get into the huddle and you just look in the eyes of your kid you know it's like go along <laughs> it's just a great you know and you see them like yes <laughs> there they run down the field you know uh, sometimes those lead to great touchdowns and sometimes that's just a disaster but um, but we want to use the words go long uh, this afternoon in a little different way I'm not sure if you can see the picture behind there of the highway, right? You can't see the highway? Well, it's, there's, there's a highway there. You're just going to have to trust me. <laughs> of the picture. Go long. I'm talking about going long in life, right? When you, when, when you go, when you go into life, what keeps you going? What sustains you on the journey? Uh, we, we've been talking about this in some ways all weekend, uh, about the, what, what, what helps us understand who we are, what fuels our mission, is, is this whole concept of relationship, identity, mission. And so I, I, I want to, uh, as, as, we, as, as I kind of wrap up my piece, just land on this, but speak to the mission. How, how do we go forth into the mission? Because this reality sometimes gets flipped on its head. And, and, and for some people, they, they, they never are operating out of things in this order. Relationship, identity, mission. This is how it gets flipped around, though. We do our mission, which gives us our identity. Can you relate to this? And then if we have any time left, we, we spend some in relationship. But what, what happens most of the time? There's no time left. So our whole identity becomes what we do. And that can be in ministry settings. It can be just in, in our life. So we, we can find ourselves, uh, in, in some ways, in, in disorder. I, I, I think about it like, right-ordered living and disordered living, where in, in, instead of living the way that we're meant to, we, 
we, we, we just start doing stuff. We're constantly doing things, right? And in, in that activity, we don't really have focus on the relationship, particularly the relationship with God, which is the most important one. This can happen to us sometimes in life when we're doing really, really good things. So I, I had a stretch of time in, in my life a number of years ago. So I'm living in Littleton, Colorado. I'm the youth minister at, at a Catholic parish that's less than two miles from Columbine High School. So in 1999, when the shooting happened, 250 of the kids from our parish were in the building. Three of the teens that were in our program were the ones that were shot. We held their funerals at our parish. Another 13 of kids, kids from our parish were injured. I mean, it was, it was a really stretching time. And it was a time in my life where this, I, things got turned on its head and I was living more like this. I was doing my mission, working 14, 16 hour days, many days, just trying to keep up with all of the needs for families and for, for, for teens and things going on in our parish. Well, this, with, this went on for oh, you know, almost a year, maybe over a year. And I'll, I'll never forget this one, this one night. It was kind of a, I guess, the, the wake-up moment for, for me. Uh, we had some friends over at our house, and we had been in a, a, a small community with several other couples and for, for at least a couple of years now. So during this whole time, we, we, were, we were continuing to meet with each other. This one night, we were meeting at our house, and uh, we're, we're talking and in, in the midst of the conversation, my wife says something really sarcastic to me in front of everybody. Uh, it, it was something like, uh, you know, like I made some comment about ministry or helping, you know, helping with things. And, uh, and then she just, you know, very sarcastically said something like, uh, well, when, when you're done saving the world, let me know and we can pick up our marriage in front of our small community, right? Uh, so it, was, it, was, it was embarrassing just saying it, but in front of other people made it, you know, much, much worse. It was one of those moments, I'm not sure if any of you married couples can relate with this, where you just kind of forget that anyone else is sitting in the room. You ever had one of those moments where a chord gets struck and you just lash back and react and next thing you know, the two of you are in an argument but there's other people sitting there. Uh, and it was very heated and very tense. And uh, I, I, I just turned to her and, and like I said, I really forgot that there was anyone else even in the room. And so there's three other couples sitting very awkwardly in the middle of this argument with the two of us like going back and forth and back and forth at each other, you know. And, um, and I, I, I turned to her and said something, you know, like, what does that mean? Uh, and then she shot back like, you, you, you aren't even here. I don't even, I don't, I don't know if I even know you. And uh, I was like, what do you mean you don't know me? You know, and then here was the big moment. She said the line, basically the same thing again in different words, you know, like, just let me know when you're done. Because I'm, I'm, you know, tr trying to save everybody else because I'm still here waiting. 
And what came out of my mouth was so fast and so shocking to me uh, because it, 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 you'll understand when I say it, it doesn't even make sense. Uh, she said that, and I, I just said, save the world? I'm still trying to save the kids in the library. Wow. Holy smoke. This was like 13 months after the shooting, right? Okay, I can't save the kids in the library. They died 13 months ago, right? It was this huge realization for me. Like, what, what, what am I doing here? And then all of a sudden you realize, like, our friends are all sitting in the room, you know, the dead silence. And then you look around, you're like, oh, wow. Whole argument in front of these other people. Which, of course, they then started to pray with us. It was a beautiful moment, right? But everything was flipped upside down. I was so engaged in the mission. And it was good stuff. It was actually stuff that needed to be done. But I was doing it at the expense of everything else in my life. And, and that, it's just not a way to live. Right? We, we, we have this tendency to kind of be our own self-built man or woman. We can't be. I, I can't build myself. I need to be a Jesus-built man. And, and, and this is why the order of these is so important. I, I don't want to get too heady on, on, on this, but I mean, look, look at this kind of order. Uh, th this picture captures a little bit better in, I, I think, in where, where you can see the spiration and how one informs the other, right? When, when we have relationship with the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, See, the arrow that goes down from that, that naturally informs and inspires our identity. When we know who we are, that naturally, organically, you could say, informs and inspires our mission. It has to go in that order, but mission is critical. And here, here's the... the this is going to get a little theological, but uh, I, I think you can track with this. When, when you think of the persons of the Trinity, who are we supposed to be like? Jesus. And it makes sense, right? We can't be like God the Father because God is the source of everything. He's, he's the generator that's, that's, that's giving forth life. The Holy Spirit is actually all receiving. So the Father's all giving. The Holy Spirit's all receiving. The Holy Spirit receives the love of God the Father, receives the love of God the Son, and the Holy Spirit comes into being. That would be our, our understanding of, of the different persons of the Trinity and, and their unique roles, right? So there, there's actually definition in the church that helps give clarity to this. First of all, you can look at the catechism about the incarnation. What were the reasons for the incarnation? Well, Jesus became man to reveal God's love to us. He became man to redeem us and to restore us into relationship with the Father. 
He also became man. There's four reasons that the catechism gives. He also became man to become a model for us of what it looks like to live out this life. The fourth reason the catechism says is to make us partakers in the divine life. So it's because of the incarnation that we actually get elevated and and literally become a part of God in, in, in the end. And that, that, that's, those are the reasons for the incarnation. But that third reason is pretty important. This is why when we live out our faith, Jesus is our model. He's our example. And, and what do you see about Jesus? Jesus took time to go be alone to pray. And then he went back and did mission. Interiority for mission. He fostered the interior life. He was in relationship, but the relationship fueled him for mission. So if if we try to do mission like this, mission first, what's going to happen? You're trying to be like God, the Father. It's all you. It's all us. We're we're doing all of the work. This is what I did after the Columbine shooting. It was all me. It was all about what I had to do and how I had to help people, right? To the point that my wife would actually say about me, when you're done saving the world. Like, that's how I was operating. I was trying to be like God the Father. I can't be. I can't be like God the Father. But at the same time, we can't be like the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, who's all receiving, those of us who are called to the active life, we're not supposed to be like that. And I mean, unless you're called to live in a monastery or live in a convent and live out your spiritual life like that. But for, for most of us, that's not how we've been called, right? The church actually gives definition to this as heresies. To, be, to try and be like all God the Father is Pelagianism. That's where I do all of the work. It's all about me. It's all about my effort. I'm going to make myself holy. I'm going to do these things to build up the church. It's all me, me, me. Right? That's Pelagianism. And it's a heresy. Defined heresy in the church. But on the other side, being like the Holy Spirit, all receiving. I'm going to spend all of my time in prayer I'm going, to, I'm going to be in prayer all the time for hours a day, and I'm going to neglect my responsibilities. That also is a heresy. It's called quietism. We're supposed to be like Jesus. We come into relationship, but the relationship fuels us for mission. Does this make sense? But the relationship has to come first. That's, wh- that's how you fill up the reservoir. You, you, you come into relationship, it fills the reservoir, and you go out to do the mission. And what, what's amazing, if you follow this triangle, because here, here's what I see happen with, with a lot of people in, in my own life. I experience intimacy with the Trinity. How many of you have experienced intimacy with God in some capacity in your life? Okay. That informs and inspires your identity. So you come to this greater understanding of who you are, which gives you some inclinations towards mission, something that you should do. How many of you have experienced that in your life? 
you, you become a religious education teacher, you, you start helping out with the youth ministry, or you start helping out with elderly care, or you, you volunteer in some capacity, or maybe you take on a job working at a parish or a part-time position or working for the diocese, or maybe you follow a vocation and go into seminary. Many of us have had this experience of just this natural movement. We experience intimacy with God. It helps us understand who we are, which then gives us a, uh, something that we want, we have a desire to do. Well, then what happens? Anyone ever experience opposition when they go to do what they feel like God's calling them to do? Like all the time, right? Uh, and it's weird. Sometimes the opposition that, that I get is from people I would never expect it from. I'm in a parish. I feel really called to do something. You know, through this kind of movement, I feel really called to do something in, in, in our parish. And the people opposing me are other staff members. They're like attacking me and they, they, they don't want, they're, they're like trying to sabotage my efforts and mess up what I'm trying to do and they go and talk to the pastor behind my back and they're trying to get the pastor all upset about what I'm doing and questioning and it's like, what the heck is going on? I'm trying to minister to teenagers and help them and help their families and I go and do a really powerful retreat and kids come back from the retreat and they're on fire. And parents come into my office and start yelling at me, what did you do to my kid? You're making my kid a Jesus freak. And I'm standing there in my office like, what is going on? Okay, listen to this line. This is really important. It's from St. Ignatius of Loyola. If you're not experiencing opposition, you might want to reevaluate what you're doing. Because you're obviously not a threat to the enemy. Whoa! When we do this, it's actually part of the deal to get opposition. You show me one place in the Bible, one place where it says, if you hear me calling you and you respond and you start following me, everything's going to go well for you. You can't tell me because it just doesn't exist. There's not one place in the Bible where it says that. It actually says just the opposite. If you're going to follow me, prepare yourself for trial. Prepare yourself for persecution. Prepare for trouble and for hardship. What, what, what's supposed to happen here is we experience intimacy with God. It informs our identity. We go to do the mission that we've been inspired to do. And when we start experiencing the opposition that's just going to come, we go back to the Trinity. We relate to God, the movements, the frustration, all of the things going on in our heart, we relate them to him. What the heck? I got all these staff members opposing me. I got all these parents angry at me. So I, I go, I relate all that to God. And you know what God usually says to me? shows me more about myself. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to God and like I'm just venting. I'm mad at him. And sometimes I let him have it. I just tell him, I don't, I don't like being your friend sometimes. <laughs> That's one of my lines. I just don't like being your friend sometimes. Like this is too hard. 
and people always treat me badly, you know. Mother Teresa was famous for this. She said, if this is how you treat your friends, I'd hate to be your enemy. You know, like that's, that's literally what she said to Jesus, you know. Uh, I can relate sometimes. I understand what, what, that sentiment. But almost every single time, God ends up saying something to me like, why does that bother you so much? It's like, I'm venting, I'm pouring all of this frustration out to him, and like he just comes back with this very subtle, why does that bother you so much? And, and then what happens? I'm looking at myself, I'm understanding more about, about my own heart. Why does that frustrate me? Why does that, you know? I mean, you, you, you think about our... The times we live in. We, we are living in very strange times. I'm not sure if you've seen that already. All right. <laughs> Just follow the election and you can see how strange the times are. It's, it's interesting. There's, there's times in history throughout the church where we've had similar periods of history. Like you go back to time, you know, great saints like Pope, Pope Leo XIII, Leo the Great. And, and how he lived in an era of history where civilization, society, was literally crumbling to pieces around him. And he started laying out a course for people who wanted to follow God, who wanted to pursue faith. He started laying out a course of how they could be formed and how they could withstand all of the cultural pressure. But, but what was that whole vision? I mean, there, there's dozens of saints that we could point to like this. What was that whole vision rooted in? It wasn't rooted in trying to elect the right president. It wasn't rooted in trying to change the society. It was rooted in trying to become the kind of person that was founded on the eternal perspective. I've been thinking about this a lot, you know, particularly with just what I see happening in our country right now. And it's made me go back and want to look at some of these things. And I had this dream the other night that just brought like three very, very weird, strange things all together at the same time. Um, so it's, it's a little bit of a side tangent, but it's, you'll, you'll catch the humor here. So I've, I've gone back, I had studied years ago St. Ignatius of Antioch. So he, he was one of the bishops in the early church, was martyred for the faith. Uh, when he was arrested and was being taken to Rome for his execution, he started writing letters. It was a long journey. He, he wrote like eight letters to all of these different communities where he was bishop. So I, I grabbed an old book that has his eight letters, and I've been, I have been reading the letters over the last month or so. Well, all of the letters are these very passionate exhortations about not being so locked into this life into this world, but looking to the eternal perspective, looking to how, how God is inviting us into all eternity for him and, and the joy of heaven. Don't be afraid, you know, of who can kill this body. Be worried about who can, who can send you into hell, right? Like the, the, this was the message. Of, so I've been reading these letters now for like, like a month or so. Well, then we had the third debate the third presidential debate, which I couldn't, I didn't quite make it through. I couldn't handle it. Uh, I just got so tired of the fighting and the bickering and the stuff that's going on. And so at a certain point, I kind of quit watching it. 
And uh, well, later that night, go to bed. I wake up in the middle of the night having this very strange dream. I'm with a whole group of people and we're being loaded onto a bus, a big bus. And as we get onto the bus, I'm somehow in leadership and I'm talking on the microphone on the bus and I'm preaching the letters of St. Ignatius of Antioch to all of the people on the bus. So I'm, I'm immediately getting the context, like we're, we're being bused somewhere to be martyred. Uh, and, and the whole the whole bus ride, you know, I'm 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 talking, but my back is to the bus driver, and so I don't ever see who the bus driver is. I'm just I'm just talking to the people in front of me, and I'm trying to encourage them that it's okay. We're 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 losing our life in this world, but we're gaining our lives in, for all eternity. And and so I'm I'm trying to inspire them and encourage them and, and and build them up, right? And then when I finally finish that, the bus is kind of coming to a stop, and I turn and I look at the bus driver, and it's Donald Trump. This is how dreams come together, you know, it's just weird, weird stuff, you know. And so I, I, I was actually surprised, and so I said hello to him, shook his hand, uh, and said, thanks for the ride. <laughs> we, we get off the bus, and we walk into this big warehouse, and a, as we walk in, it's like walking into a courtroom, but there was no chairs, but there was this big, huge bench, you know, with a judge sitting up at the top. Guess who the judge was? Hillary Clinton! <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, she's pounding her gavel, you know, and like pointing, pointing us, you know, we're, we're evidently going to be martyred. And that's when I woke up. Uh, oh, weird. No, no real point to any of that other than like, that was just strange. And I gave you a window into my mind. Um, the moral of the story is don't read letters from saints like that and then watch TV. <laughs> It'll just do weird things to your head, you know. So what's, what's the aim of the church? Not, not rhetorical necessarily here. What, what is the whole purpose of the church? Okay. Know Christ and make him known. I think it's more than this. Pray and do good work. These are, these are all good things. Could anyone point to maybe a mission statement? We all know it. We've all heard it. What comes before that? Yeah, I mean, maybe a good mission statement would be in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of every nation, so is that the aim of the church? Go and make disciples. It has a stronger point to it, right? Some of the things that you're saying are good things, like pray and do good works, uh, love others and serve others. Like, these are all good things. This has a little bit more teeth to it. Go and make disciples. Not go and make believers. Not go and make people who are kind of excited about worship or go and make people who are, uh, I, I don't know, There'd be a dozen things we could say that are kind of different than disciple, right? Go and make disciples has more teeth. Is that the aim? I actually don't think it is. You could disagree with me, which is fine. 
if we just make disciples, how do we keep growing? What, what, what do you actually need to make more disciples? Wrestle with us a little bit. Okay, say that really, really loud. You, you need a disciple maker to make disciples. The mission statement is go and make disciples, which implies that you are a disciple maker. You wouldn't be able to go and do that if you weren't, if you weren't empowered, equipped, trained to be a disciple maker. Does this make sense? The aim of the church can't just be to make disciples. So for every single one of you, okay, I'm, I'm going to ruin your day here. How many of you could get your head wrapped around being a disciple? Hopefully everyone in the church can raise their hand, right? Uh, I don't want to pressure if you don't want to raise your hand. But we're all called to be disciples. We're, we're all invited at least to be disciples. But that's actually not the goal. Let me, let me show you what this might look like. Ugh. I don't know if you can see all of these. But look, look at the order. So this is the growth process that I think people naturally go through. You, you start out, I'm using Sherry Waddell's thresholds of conversion here uh, at, the, at the beginning. Initial trust spiritual curiosity, spiritual openness, spiritual seeking, beginning disciple. That's, that's what Sherry Waddell, in her book, Forming Intentional Disciples, she articulates this path as, as the um, kind of the initial steps of conversion that somebody naturally goes through where, where they come to the place of dropping the nets and deciding that they're going to be a disciple. That can't be the end there. Because you actually go from a beginning disciple to a growing disciple to a commissioned disciple to a disciple maker. Is that the end goal? I don't think so. Stretch with me. I, I think the real goal of the church is to make spiritual multipliers. And here's what I mean by that. Somebody who is a spiritual multiplier can make disciple makers, can train, equip, and empower disciple makers. You don't have to work for the church in any official capacity to be a spiritual multiplier in, in your own world, in your own realm of people that you come in contact with. You need training you need formation. You, you need to be empowered and equipped to do it. But for far too long, the Catholic Church has actually looked at our landscape as thousands of people come to Mass every Sunday and go back home. And the priest and the religious and the staff of the parishes do all of the work. It's impossible. That, that isn't any possible equation. It will not work. There's no way in the world that, that the, the small number of priests that we have and parish staff and religious 
can do all of the work that's involved in the mission of the church. Pope Francis would articulate it this way. This is from Evangelii Gaudium. In virtue of their baptism, all the members of the people of God have become missionary disciples. All the baptized, whatever their position in the church or their level of instruction in the are agents of evangelization. And it would be insufficient to envisage a plan of evangelization to be carried out by professionals while the rest of the faithful would simply be passive recipients. I mean, he's speaking directly against what I think is in the mind of most of us. What does it mean to me to be a Catholic? I go to church. I help out here or there with different things throughout the year, and then I, I just go back home and I live my life. Like, that, that, that just can't be the vision of the church moving forward. If we, if we want the church to be the kind of organization that has a compelling impact in the world, which I think every single one of us, deep in our heart, that's what we would desire. We desire for the church to make an impact in the world, to be a, to be a force to be reckoned with in the world. The only way that we can do that is if everybody all the members of the faithful see themselves as a part of that. I, I was talking about this up in Anchorage, Alaska about a year and a half ago. I was, doing, uh, I was doing a retreat up there with three parishes and all of their parish councils. It was a group of about 50 people. And I'm, I'm talking about this all morning long. And there was this one woman in particular that just kept questioning me and, and asking these kind of skeptical questions uh, all throughout the morning. It got annoying. She kept kind of derailing what, what, what my point was. Uh, I mean, I can handle a question here or there, but she just kept interrupting me and a asking questions. And all of her questions were doubting what I was saying and not, not convinced and, you know, very, very skeptical about, about, about this whole idea of everybody's, everybody's supposed to be involved. About three hours into the retreat, so this is late morning, she stood up, literally stood up, like right in the middle of, 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 a t of one of my talks. And she says, wait a minute. So what, do you know anything about Anchorage, Alaska? Military. Huge military city, right? Uh, two different bases there, Army and Air Force, or I'm sorry, Army and Navy, she was a colonel in the army and ran, ran one of the hospitals. Like she was in charge, as a colonel, was in charge of the whole hospital. I had no idea any of this stuff about her. I found it all out later. But it makes sense why she was, I mean, she was a commanding officer in the military. And so she stands up and she says, wait a minute. Are, are you saying that every single person in the pew is on mission? Deployed for mission? Okay, those weren't the words I was using, but I was like, well, that's a pretty creative way of saying it. It's like, that's exactly what I'm saying. She turned and for the next 10 minutes started talking so passionately 
to the rest of these people in the room. She took over my, she took over my talk, and I was so glad that she did. Because she, was, she started talking military lingo to all of these other people, which, which two-thirds of them were all military. And she started to say, we've got a problem. If, if, if what he's saying is true, we have a huge problem because we're nowhere near this. The average person sitting in the pews on a Sunday morning have no idea that they're deployed for mission. Do you know what it means to be deployed for mission, she's, she's saying? You know, like you, you hit the ground and you look for shelter and food and water and then you, you go and do your stuff and none of our people are ready for this. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> Most of us start to think, how could I do that? How, how could I be deployed for mission? Like, I don't know stuff about the faith. I, I, don't, I don't have all of this knowledge. I don't have all of this information. Pope Francis goes on to address that. The new evangelization calls for personal involvement on the part of each of the baptized. Every Christian is challenged here and now to be actively engaged in evangelization. Indeed, anyone who has truly experienced God's saving love does not need much time or lengthy training to go out and proclaim that love. Every Christian is a missionary to the extent that he or she has encountered the love of God in Christ Jesus. You don't need this lengthy training. I would argue that going out and doing something actually becomes the training in itself. We need to know the content of the faith and we need to constantly pursue learning that and growing in a deeper and deeper capacity and understanding of it. So we, we need the formation, but I, I think what's really missing in the church today is empowering people for mission. And, and sometimes that mission actually will seem premature. I'm sure when Jesus sent the 72 out, two by two, they felt things were a little premature. They had no idea what was going on. He's sending them out all over the region, you know, to go and preach, and, and, and then they come back, and he's asking them, what happened when, when you went out and did what you did? We were delivering demons, and we, we, were, we were casting out spirits, and uh, people, you know, all of these things were happening. He was sending them onto the front line, but then he brought them back and then coached them, trained them based upon what they experienced when they went out. We're all called to be a part of this. We're all called to contribute. And so I, I want to end today with just five very, very practical ways that each and every one of us can do this. One. Soak in the encounter. We talked about this numerous times throughout the weekend. The encounter is what leads to relationship. So you, you want to soak in the encounter. Two, be a disciple. That's, that's the starting point. You have to be a disciple. Not like the disciples in the story about the woman of Samaria who were off taking care of the human needs, be a disciple like the woman. She's experiencing the encounter, and the encounter is fueling her for mission. Right? 
Three, pray. Interiority for mission. And I've got several subpoints under prayer. Be in relationships. You've got to see all of your prayer as a relationship. You want prayer to draw you into intimacy with the Trinity. Pray for divine appointments. Just like Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Not because that's the way you go, but because he needed to meet that woman. Pray every day that God would bring a divine appointment across your path. Somebody that you're supposed to meet with, somebody that you're supposed to talk to. Be open to the subtle promptings of the Spirit. If you all of a sudden think like, you know, normally I walk this direction when I go get my cup of coffee, but I think I'm supposed to walk around the long way today. If you have that thought in your mind, just go with it. That could be the Holy Spirit leading you a different way than what you normally would go because of somebody that you're supposed to meet, somebody that you're supposed to encounter. Now, I know I'm probably stretching some of you like crazy, like, oh my gosh, I'm like, I'm actually going to start talking to people about my faith? Yes, you are. Pray for people. Ask God, who in your life needs your prayers? Have you ever thought about doing this? Obviously, there's things that we become aware of and we pray for those things. But in your relationship, when, you, when you're spending time in prayer and in relationship with Jesus, you ask him, is, is there people in my life that I need to be praying for? And what do I need to be praying for for them? He'll tell you. Pray for people, but pray also with people. How many of you have had this experience sometime in the last six months, say, where somebody said, oh, I really need your prayers. Would you pray for me for such and such? I mean, the vast majority of us have had this experience, right? And what do we normally say? Yes, I'll pray for you. Just a simple invitation. Stop doing that. Just stop what you're doing right then and pray with them right then. Because almost everyone who just raised their hand, if you're anything like me, how many of you actually pray for them later? I usually always forget, you know, or three or four days later or a couple weeks later, it's like, oh yeah, I'm supposed to pray for that. And I'll, I'll save a little prayer. Like, I have shifted this over the last four or five years. I, I have shifted, like, I, I don't say that to anyone anymore. If somebody asks for prayers, I say, well, let's just pray right now. And most people are like, oh, okay. It's a little awkward, but it's, it's been beautiful. And some of the things that have happened from these experiences, praying for people, but been praying with people. You, you can model a lot of times for people uh, your, your, your prayer life by just making that subtle extra step, right? And then finally, I'm sorry, four, bring your faith into conversations. Bring your faith into conversations. There, there are so many opportunities that we have with, with people where in, in a very natural, organic way, we can bring faith into what we're talking about. You don't want to do it in a way that's forced. It's not like you're trying to dump content or dump the church or dump teaching or, you know, over people. You know, I would never be in a conversation with somebody, you know, and say, hey, let me tell you the story of salvation history. 
That would, it would not be natural, wouldn't be organic. I'm, I'm talking about in a way that just fits with the conversation. Somebody brings up something, and then I, a lot of times I do this by asking questions. I lead them to talking about faith, or lead them to asking questions about the faith that I can then answer. It's very natural, very organic, right? But bring faith into your conversations. And finally, see yourself as a disciple maker. You started out as a disciple. But you, you, at, at some point, you have to shift. And, and you have to see yourself, not just as a disciple, but I'm actually trying to make a disciple out of all of these people that I'm ministering to and serving and loving and caring for. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not just a disciple myself. I'm trying to make disciples. So I, I, I start to change my whole perspective. And I see myself as a disciple maker. So five very, very practical things that we can do to go long in, in our own lives. Let's end there with a prayer. In the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Go long. Do you have time? Stop it, stop it. <laughs> so we, we have a little bit of time. I thought I was supposed to end at two. I thought it was five minutes over. Uh, so that's why I was rushing a little bit at the end there. Uh, but we have a little bit of time for some questions, if uh, anyone have questions. Yes, we have, we have a microphone. Oh, I'll be here. When, you, when someone asks you to pray for them and you say, yes, I will, uh, what does that entail? Is that like saying a quick, God, please watch over this person? Or what, what's your commitment? No, great question. I, I try to keep it really, really simple because uh, typically people that I'm talking to don't pray much. And so I, I want to model for them very simple ways to pray and to access that relationship with God. Uh, that doesn't need a lot of, you know, like if I was quoting a scripture or saying a really elaborate prayer, or, uh, I might be able to say that things because of stuff that I know, but I, 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 want, I want to simplify, make that very, very simple. So like, like a great example is a few weeks ago I was, on, uh, I was on an airplane, met a couple that were traveling through Denver to Seattle. And uh, they were just sitting in the seat next to me. And so I just asked them, like, well, why, why are you going to Seattle? Do you live there? Do you? Uh, and they ended up saying, well, no, actually, we're going for a funeral. I was like, oh, I, who, whose funeral? He's like, well, my brother. And so it was, it was a little bit awkward to get the conversation started. You could tell, like, they were hesitant to offer information. And uh, I was like, oh, I'm so sorry for your loss. And, um, and, and so then just started asking the questions, like, well, tell me, tell me memories of your brother. It's a great question to ask in a, in a situation like that. 
the guy did not stop talking for 30 minutes. One story after another, one story after another, you know, funny stories. And he just had great, great memories of his brother. Um, and so after a long time, and, and the wife chimed in and shared some of her stories. And uh, so when it seemed like that was kind of a natural pause, right? I just said, um, sounds like you really loved your brother. Which, of course, he started to cry. And I said, can I pray with you? And, and just pray for you as you go to this funeral and just uh, pray for your family. And in that moment, he's like, I, I would love that. And so there we are. So I've never met these people in my life. I pray never will see them again. But we just held hands. And uh, I, I knew their names in that moment. I can't remember them now. Um, but I just said, you know, uh, I think it was Earl and Beverly or something like that. But I said, Lord, I just want to pray for Earl and Beverly. Pray for safe travels for them today as they travel to Seattle. Pray for their family. And, and, and I want to pray for Earl's brother uh, and for this funeral. And just, just bless them. It was just very simple like that. But my prayer was all about what I had learned from encountering them as just real people, if that makes sense. And, and then in a very simple way, in a way that they could have easily said the prayer themselves, I just led them in a prayer. That's it. That's it. Yes. An example of how we can uh, bring our faith out in a conversation, not in a threatening way, but in a conversational, you mentioned asking questions. Yeah, I mean, in, I mean, in some ways, that, ex that example was a, was a great one, and one that just happened a couple weeks ago. Um, I think, uh, um, hmm. well, I'm a huge fan of just asking questions, because in my experience, most people enjoy talking about themselves. Uh, not in a bad way, but it's just, it's very easy to just ask somebody, like, you meet them, where are you from, where are you going, uh, you, you know, and... You know, so if somebody's traveling, that's an easy question to ask. Um, I, I had this great experience this past summer, and it's too long of a story to share now. But I, I was with a group of high school teens in Cincinnati. We did a discipleship camp for them for a whole week. But the camp ended, so really all week we were training them how to share their faith, how to witness, how to evangelize, how to, how to share their testimony, how to, how to answer basic questions about the faith. So we had all of these uh, days leading up to the end, Friday and Saturday. Friday and Saturday, we took them on buses and went down to parks all around Cincinnati and just started walking up to random people and, and making them do what we had taught them how to, what to do all week. You know, so 16, 15, 16, 17-year-olds out evangelizing in, in these neighborhoods and parks in Cincinnati. It was, it was unbelievable, right? Um, well, so... This, this one guy that I met, his name was Bernard, ironically. And the, the quote that I shared about Bernard of Clairvaux, like, uh, I, I had actually prayed, when, before we left, I had prayed, like, Lord, give me the name of the person that I'm going to be talking to today. And the name that came to my mind immediately was Bernard. And I'm like, oh, come on. I'm just like, my mind's playing tricks on me because I just shared that quote about St. Bernard, you know. And so I just dismissed it. And I was like, well, that's stupid. Um, we get to the park, we had a bunch of boxed lunches. 
And that was one of our easy ways to walk up to people and meet them, was to give them a free lunch. And so I'm walking around the park, I see this black man, not even in the park, he's actually across the street. And uh, I'm like, hey, you hungry? That was a pretty easy entry point. He was like, yeah, he, he's like, is that, he goes like, are you charging? I was like, no, it's free. He comes walking across the street. I was like, hey, what's your name? He's like, Bernard. And I'm just like, doo, 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 doo. You know, like 40 minutes later, I ended up sitting down, had this whole long conversation with him. It was very natural. Like, uh, I was just asking him, like, do you live here in Cincinnati? Do you, uh, you know, and then he would ask me questions. Like, I was just making conversation, right? But wh where it led to was very powerful um, because I, I, I ended up sharing with him, like, Bernard, I, I think there's a reason why you were supposed to meet me here tonight, right? And the, the interesting thing about him was he didn't strike you as a homeless person. He actually was very attractive uh, black man, very articulate, very intelligent, but he was homeless. And so at a certain point in the conversation, I just looked at him and I was like, why are you out here? He's like, what do you mean? He's like, why, why are you here? living on the streets and, and homeless. He's like, I'm homeless. I was like, I know, but you're too smart, you're too good looking, and you're too intelligent to be homeless. I go, sorry, for, sorry to stereotype, but I go, my gut feel is that if you didn't want to be homeless, you wouldn't be homeless tomorrow. Well, then that, was, that was like a go call your husband line. And I think it came out of me from the Holy Spirit. Uh, I mean, I was just making an observation, but in, in the midst of the conversation, like, it just hit him like a brick. He got very emotional, teared up, you know, put his head down, and uh, he's like, you're right. I, I, know, I know what I need to do to get out of this situation. I'm like, well, how long have you been homeless? Two years. Well, why? Why are you doing this to yourself? And then he just spewed out this anger, venom, towards a business partner who stole everything from him and stole the business from him and left him destitute. He's so mad. It was like I just, it was just, I just tapped into this anger, you know. And as he says all this stuff, I'm just listening, marveling, like he's punishing his business partner by being homeless. Like, it makes absolutely no sense in the world, right? And it was almost like as he was saying it, he was hearing himself say out loud why he's homeless and realizing how stupid it sounded. So when, when he finishes all this stuff, I was like, so you're ready to let go of that and get back on with your life? I said, I think we need to pray right now, Bernard, so that you can forgive your business partner. I can't do that. And I was like, yes, you can. Because if you don't, you're going to be homeless for many more years. I go, you're not hurting anyone but yourself right now. You think you're punishing him, but you're not. Let's forgive your business partner. Let's ask God for grace. And you just need to start taking the steps that you know you can take to get out of this situation and move on with your life. So, I, I, I mean, no, another practical example, just very organic, very natural. It's actually not a question, a comment. Kind of dovetails off what you were just saying. Um, I was in the Walmart parking lot last Saturday night, and as I was leaving, a gal came up and she said, "Do you have any change? I haven't eaten in a few days." 
And so, long story short, I gave her $5, and she said, thank you so much. I said, it just came to me. I said, I'm really struggling in my job. Would you pray for me? And she said, can we do it right now? That's awesome. That's awesome. So my, my encouragement to you, that I, I have these five practical steps. My, my encouragement to you and a warning. Start praying for God to bring people into your life. Pray for those divine appointments, right? But you, you got to follow the promptings and you've got to be willing to embrace the circumstances that, some, that sometimes brings into your path. I, I prayed one morning. I was like, Lord, I, I want to pray for a divine appointment today. I want to pray for you to put somebody in my path today that you want me to meet. An hour later, my car breaks down and completely stops running, right? And I'm stranded on the road and trying to call uh, for a tow truck. I don't have my wallet. Where's my wallet? Uh, so next thing you know, like I, now it's, it's not lo no longer trying to get my car towed. I'm just trying to figure out how am I going to get to work or get back home, one or the other. I'm stranded in the middle of nowhere. Couldn't get a hold of my wife, all of my kids at school. Uh, so I'm, I, I was just like, well, what am I going to do? And uh, so I end up walking to get to a place where I could get a bus. And I, I have to go back home to try and get my wallet. And then I can get my AAA card and try and call somebody and take care of the car. Um, but then I, I, I get to the place where the bus stop is, have n I have no cash, not even change, right? So like, uh, so the first bus comes, I tried to get on the bus and I explained to the bus driver, like, I have no money. And he was like, well, then you can't ride the bus. And he made me get off. <laughs> and I'm like, come on, you got to be kidding me. Um, so I go into the McDonald's. And I'm like, I'm just going to have to beg somebody for money. I don't know what else to do because I've got to get on the bus to get down to my house, right? So I go into McDonald's and uh, there's a group of four teenagers sitting at a table. And, uh, and so I walk over to them and I said, okay, I know this is going to sound really weird, but I, I need $1.50 to ride the bus. I mean, I'm dressed up. I'm wearing, you know, a nice shirt and a tie and uh, so I didn't, I didn't look like I was a homeless person, but they were looking at me like I was a homeless person. <laughs> um, well, next thing you know, I'm sitting down with them and talking with them, you know, and like they gave me the money that I needed for the bus after the conversation was over. But that was my divine appointment, was with these teenage boys sitting at McDonald's for their lunch period. And had I not embraced the whole situation, I mean, I could have been so agitated by my circumstances and how I wasn't at work and I now my cars broke down and I don't have my wallet. But so I'm, I'm just warning you, be careful. When you start praying like this, God does, God answers the prayer. Uh, you just got to be ready to embrace what he brings into your path. Okay. All right. Amen. God bless. All right. One final thank you for our speaker. What a gift. Thank you so much. We have our final set of workshops at 2.30, hiking to the summit, growing closer to God, escape the frantic pace of life, giving God your time, be still, practical advice for daily prayer, and gracious giving. And so we invite you to make your ways uh, quickly through the snacks and vendors, and our speakers, our workshops begin at 2.30. Thank you, and then we'll see you back here for our closing mass. So thanks.
You hear me when I call, you are my morning song. Though darkness fills the night, it cannot hide the light. Whom shall I fear? You crush the enemy underneath my feet. You are my sword and shield, though troubles linger still. Whom shall I fear? I know who goes before me, I know who stands behind, the God of angel armies is always by my side, the one who reigns forever, he is a friend of mine, the God of angel armies is always by my side. My strength is in your name, for you alone. 